Cajun across the nation. Pushing the brand across the land. Welcome to Ragin' Review. Made by the fans, for the fans. I'm not going to sing it, but it is the 21st night of September. Welcome to Raging Review, Matt Miguez, Jerry Bear, Man About Town, Josh Jagno. The three of us are going to do the best that we can to make sure that this is September 21st that you will remember we are four days away from kickoff between Louisiana and Georgia Southern to open Sunbelt Conference play we will go behind enemy lines tonight with the voice of the Georgia Southern Eagles Mr. Danny Reed as well as we'll talk some realignment and we will talk some Cajuns in the NFL once again, welcome to Rage Interview. Matt Miguez, Jerry Abery, man about town. What's going on, boys? Way fall is here. Fall is here. Did y'all did y'all Yay. step outside and notice that? I mean, it's not like a drastic change, but the, the temperature is slowly starting it. to drop a little bit. You can smell it in the air, and it's tomorrow. Tomorrow will be nice. Hell is finally passed. We Hell made it. Has finally, we did make it. We've done it again. <laughs> We have done it again. Yes, indeed. So let's put the Ohio game behind us. 49 to 14. Just an utter domination. I'm going to let our twin of fire keep playing in the background. You know, it, it's funny. We were talking about this. To play to the three of us who, who focus very hard and, and zone in on the Cajuns. We did not play well Thursday night. Um overall and to win that game that dominantly when not playing a great game overall has to give you a sense of confidence going through the rest of your schedule does it not yeah i think going into that game we were um we knew that ohio struggled a little bit um but you still won the game by 35 and look and we the thing is I just want to clarify when Matt says we didn't play well, I mean, when we dissect our football team, like scientists. Okay. So there are some things that we made some mistakes in, but overall the team did what they were supposed to do to get a very convincing win on national TV. Uh, I said that the other night, um, you know, there's some things we can improve on, but overall I thought the run game improved a lot. Uh, offensive line played fantastic, great pass protection, uh, ran the ball well with all three running backs. I thought Levi was able to use his feet a lot more. Still, you know, a little critical of sometimes in his passing decisions, but for the most part, he looked well improved. I thought defensively, we, we made the stops we were supposed to, forced a few turnovers here and there, made some key plays there. Special teams did okay as well. So we, we played an overall good game. Uh, we played a game that we were capable of. Uh, and again, we do have room to improve. 
But that was the game we needed going into conference. When you play a, a respectable G5 program like Ohio on national TV and you win the game by 35, if that doesn't give you confidence going to Georgia Southern or going into conference, I don't know what will. So it was a great win overall. And uh, now we get ready to go to Statesboro on Saturday. Well, it's weird. It's one of those games where you come away unimpressed, but you take solace in the fact that you didn't play your best game and you still got a dominating win. So, uh, and we kind of covered this in the reaction, but I, I think that we had a situation where we had a matchup that favored our team so much that it was able to be a dominating and deciding factor. And I'm talking about our offensive line and running game versus a very bad, let's just call it hapless. That's what it was defensive line and defensive front for Ohio. We were just so much better than them. We played a C minus game overall and we totally dominated the football game. Quarterback is specifically passing game continues to be a concern for me. Uh, I will continue to say it because the decisions are just not being made. I mean, that's, that's true. We watch the games differently than most people. So, uh, you know, if you have all of your personal takes, did you get upset when somebody quote unquote speaks negatively about Levi look, save it. We watch the game differently than you guy on the couch that is hero worship. You know, like I don't want to hear it. Levi is a good player. He's going to win us plenty of games in the Sun Belt. He's already done it. Still making very poor decisions for a fifth year senior. That's the truth. Defensive line played better. Defensive secondary particular in particular played better. Uh, special teams played their best game of the season. And I don't think it was even close. There are some encouraging things. I see some things trending up that we'll get into later. But overall, we were a much better team that played a C-minus game against a very inferior opponent. A, a bad, I think what I look, look like to me is a very bad football team. So great to get the win. Awesome result. I do think that things are looking up. Uh, but we got to continue doing that. And Saturday's the next opportunity. So that's my wrap. All right, so that game's behind us, but one thing I got to talk about, and it was it was going into halftime, and we had just scored that touchdown on the fourth and goal, I guess. It, it, was, a, it was at the three-yard line. We took that play from the Saints playbook, and Montreal Johnson punched it in. And, you know, I'll, I'll tell you a couple things. Number, number one, I did not agree with the call at the time. Uh, I, I thought you were in a much better place to just take the points, go into the locker room with the league because you got the ball to start the second half, uh, take the points, and then figure the rest out in the third quarter. But then, I, you know, I was I was your prototypical fan. I didn't agree with the call, but when we scored, I was happy about it. I changed my mind. Great call, blah, 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 whatever. Well, you go to halftime and you get interviewed by ESPN before you head into the locker room. And the reporter basically asked Billy Napier why he went with that play call. And Billy opened his response with scared money don't make money. And when I tell you that that has to be one of the greatest quotes I have ever heard from a head coach going into halftime, I mean, for, for, for a lack of a better question, how ballsy can one head coach be? Well, three quick things on your point. Number one, I love the call. I like it when Billy's aggressive. When in, <laughs> I like it when he's aggressive and it's not a desperation call, number one. Number two, we didn't give Montreal enough run on the pod last week. 
four touchdowns, 83 yards on 14 carries, I think is right. Um, he should have gotten 25 carries because he was unstoppable. And, you know, big shout out to that guy. I mean, what a game. Number three, what Billy does sometimes in these post-game interviews, well, he always represents us well, and he always is well-spoken, and he has uh, some interesting information to give to the viewer. But he, this is not the first time he's been, uh, you know, he's given that one-line quote that you can take and run with it. Finally, somebody in the administration decides to capitalize on it. You see shirts popping up all over the place. I know we contemplated doing a shirt. These are the kind of things that get your fans excited. It's the kind of thing that goes viral. It's the kind of thing that circulates on the news, on, on the uh, sports news, you know, the 24-7 newscasts and whatnot. That is the kind of stuff that we need to get Buzz and Lafayette. I know some of it's kind of, you know, some of it's kind of cheap. And I have heard that saying before. I'm sure you guys have heard the saying before. But in that moment, during a game where you're on national television and things like that, those little things spark interest in programs. So I, I just wanted to comment on that. Yeah, I couldn't help but laugh because that's not something – you know, Billy has his, his quirks, but for him to say it like that, and, and he kind of said it with a smirk, you know, um, and I think I know why he said it that way. Uh, first of all, you take a risk, but secondly, because the really play call worked. <laughs> well, the play call worked, but you know what else you did? You broke the spirit of Ohio, right? It's a 14-7 game. They're in it. And then all of a sudden, one play before the half, last play of the first half on fourth and goal, you give up a touchdown. You basically just killed any momentum they had left. Broke and it back. showed. You broke their back in, in the locker room. You broke their back right at halftime. So that's – I think part of that played into the factor of the Cajuns coming out in the second half and dominating the way they did. I mean, I want to say they outscored Ohio, what, 28-7 in the second half? So, uh, yeah, scared money don't make money. It is true, but but it, it, it was – and it was a gutsy call. But you, you just saw how the game sort of turned going into the locker room after that play and, and how it evolved in the second half into a complete – basically just domination. Yeah. I mean, no, no question about it. Definitely a dominant performance. Um, Josh, I agree with your point. Montreal Johnson should have touched the ball a hell of a lot more. Um, hopefully we see that against a, a pretty weak Georgia Southern defense this Saturday. Uh, Josh, while I'm, while I'm talking to you, you got any news on the realignment front? Oh, well, I mean, Dude, look, it, it's, again, it's fluid. You're, you're kind of our realignment correspondent. Well, hey, I can tell you right now, Jerry's got some great sources too. So between us two, we, we're usually pretty plugged in on this whole thing. I can tell you that Colorado State, you know, like we talked about a few weeks ago, they, they were a major player that nobody was talking about. And this past couple of days, they've come out as, you know, basically a shoe-in, them and uh, Air Force you know, they make sense as travel partners. Obviously, Colorado Springs and Fort Collins are about two and a half hours away from each other. Um, man, would be so fun to be in a league with them just from a fan standpoint. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, the rumors were that Oresco was looking west. And now he got turned down by a couple of those West Coast schools, which is very interesting to me going forward. You know, the AAC brand is really taking a hit here over the last couple of weeks, losing some of their major players. And then, you know, kind of not having a solid plan, you know, kind of feels like maybe they got their thumb in the air trying to figure out a few things. You know, we've gone from, all right, we're going to take football brands. Then we're going to take TV market potential. Now we're going to take travel partners and the geographic footprint is not important anymore. So 
it seems like he keeps changing his mind. Um, and I think that's probably to be expected when there's so many moving pieces. I don't necessarily think he's doing anything wrong. Just it's kind of interesting to, to mention uh, when you're talking about the overall picture of conference realignment, uh, the Cajuns, you know, at one point we felt like we had a pretty good shot to be in the top four of movement. Uh, now the feeling is a little bit like maybe if it's six, we're in that number, but I don't necessarily think that that's a, a negative thing at this point. We've always maintained that Brian and T Joe are going to put us where we need to be. Seems like the further along this process goes, the Sun Belt is maybe a bit of a safer landing spot or staying spot, whatever you want to call it. If you add Marshall, like we've talked about, if you add a Marshall, a USM, if you add, or well, if you drop some dead weight, like we call it with Little Rock and, and uh, UTA, the non-football playing schools, you can really bolster the conference, uh, you know, just addition by subtraction in that regard. Uh, Marshall and USM immediately overnight makes you more of a, a solid brand in my opinion. And Keith Gill, the question that I have, and Jerry, Jerry and I talked about this today. The question I have is that if Oresco is a little bit, if the feeling is that he's kind of flailing, does Keith Gill have the balls to go out and make a power play, grab some of these G5 schools that are on the rise and, and really challenge him for G5 dominance? Is that in the cards for Keith Gill? Is he going to go out and put himself on the line? Because honestly, in the next two to three years, which by the way, this is going to be, you know, Danny mentioned, Danny's going to talk about it a little bit in the, in the interview, but this is not a five month process. This is a five year process. If you remember last realignment, it was in phases, you know, people continued to move after the initial, you know, tectonic plate shift of major realignment uh, that last time. So I think you're going to see the same thing. You're going to, you're going to see the big major players make a move and then you're going to see trimmers throughout the G five over the next two to three, maybe even into five years. I think what's interesting is Keith capable of leading the Sunbelt into that kind of new frontier for the G five. That's my question. Well, I think the factors play also into the fact that when you look at what happened in commentary alignment last time in around 2011, 2012, Besides the P5s, like Nebraska going to the Big Ten, Rutgers and Maryland getting added to the Big Ten, West Virginia going to the Big 12, it's not as much geography for the P5s as much of an effect it has on the G5s. So, for example, the American Conference was created as a result of the Big East basically disbanding and kind of forming itself geographically with a TV contract that was susceptible to the UCFs, the South Floridas, the Tulane's. Um, the, the SMUs. So the question is now, and it makes me wonder because here's, here's the main factor that's different from 10 years ago. And Josh, we've talked about this streaming. You don't, the, the TV market now, obviously you go after the big cities, you see, Oh, the Atlanta market, the Denver market, the Houston market, the Dallas market, LA and San Diego, blah, blah, blah. But streaming plays a big factor in that. And that includes going beyond one or two time zones. So it's interesting the, the strategy that Mike Oresco is following with the American trying to go from somewhere like Temple in, in Philadelphia or East Carolina and Greenville, North Carolina, and then going all the way to Air Force, going all the way to, 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 to Colorado State, trying to go to Boise, Idaho, San Diego State down in California. It makes me wonder uh, – with even though with the streaming, uh, the, the streaming coming into play here, is it still smart to go that far out? Because now you're not talking about TV. 
Now you're looking at athletic budgets. You're looking at the fact that these schools have to put probably another five to $10 million on travel expenses. I mean, how did the WAC disband 10 years ago? Why? What? After a while, schools like Louisiana Tech can't travel their volleyball team to Fresno, California or San Jose or Hawaii, for that matter. So it makes me wonder, are they are they going back to the same strategy that failed last time? And what's the catch? Is it streaming that might make the difference? But at the end of the day, the schools still have to find a way to pay for those travel expenses. Temple's going to have to way to pay their golf team to go. To, to Colorado, right? So it's interesting the strategy they're taking. I'm still kind of scratching my head at it. Um, right now, it looks like they're aiming for Colorado State, Air Force. UAB is pretty much the one school out of Conference USA that they're pretty much sure is going to go to the American. Because let's be honest, UAB fits that mold in Birmingham. They've got a brand new stadium. They're a great institution academically. So I think UAB is pretty much a shoe-in. But then the next question comes, who's the fourth team? Uh, they just lost Houston, so do they go after UTSA? Well, we know UTSA is not a Houston when it comes to athletic branding. Not even close. They do have upside. They have the San Antonio market. They're a great school, but success on the field creates demand, right? If you're not good on the field, look, Rice is in Houston. Does anybody watch Rice? No. Why? Because they don't win. They're not that good. So I understand people go after the TV markets, but also to me, it comes with viewership. If you're not a good team, nobody's going to watch you. So it's a very interesting and very intriguing uh, scenario we're playing here with commentary alignment. Like you said, Josh, there's a lot of question, uh, questions unanswered. I also think, too, with the Sun Belt with Keith Gill, look, I never thought I'd say this, but the Sun Belt actually has the ball in their court now. Um, you know, right now, Conference USA is in shambles because they're on the verge of possibly losing two schools. Then if the Sun Belt decides to expand to somewhere like Southern Miss and Marshall, you take two big brand names out of their conference. That's four teams Conference USA can lose. So what do they do next? Right. It's very interesting. And, and like we've like I've said last week and I'll say it again this week. So much can happen in the next few weeks. But really, the question is, which domino is going to fall next, which will affect us in the end? Yeah. And, you know, you highlighted the unknown with streaming. OK. And this is something that people need to understand. Just like cable went extinct when streaming became viable and became, you know, kind of householdy. It was like when streaming first burst on the scene, nobody took it seriously. They didn't know how to work it. It was unknown. It was new. But now it's, it's, it's pretty common. The same thing is going to happen with the way that people watch their, their pro team, their college team, whatever. So the folly in chasing TV market potential is the unknown of the streaming. When streaming becomes common place just for sports viewing, it does not matter where you are. Your location becomes irrelevant. It's going to be your brand. And how many eyes can you bring to the streaming service via your brand? What's going to matter is who can get the eyes to the television. Notre Dame's going to get the eyes. LSU is going to get the eyes. Clemson is going to get the eyes. Ohio State. Those guys, P5, of course, we all know that. But at the G5 ranks, the way that you're going to get the eyes is, are you winning? Do you win? Do you have a strong brand that is marketable, that people recognize across the country? Those type of things. And I mean, even something as small as having a catchy moniker, 
like the Raging Cajuns is going to matter. So we understand that because we're heavily involved and invested, but the, the, the modern, the modern, the, the lay fan that doesn't pay attention to all this stuff is probably looking at conference realignment from, you know, I, I really know bigger programs. Uh, maybe they still get caught up in the location in the TV market, but you have to look at potential and you have to look at strength of brand. That is going to be important. And that's why I think that if a Resco goes market, over brand, like say a Georgia state over a Marshall, that that's a, that's, that's, that's a problem. That's going to be Kusa 2.0. It's going to happen again. And the next question is with that being said, with what you just said, how do you restructure the contract with streaming? How does the contract stipulations change and what type of factors go into that as far as amount of money, you know, who's streaming where, where they're streaming ESPN right now, uh, you know, there's talks of Fox Sports trying to become more of a presence in the in the in the in these conferences. You know, we already know CBS Sports Network with the Conference USA plays a big factor. So, how do these different TV networks capture that streaming market, and how do they restructure the contract based on that for each conference? Is going to be huge in the next few years. It's going to be very interesting. Yeah, no, no question about it. We could definitely do an entire episode just on realignment conversations who knows might have to do that in the next couple of weeks well it sounds like we have a a, a commitment to do that so stay yeah, tuned definitely yes for sure before Big before Big we time. move on to our last topic here in segment number one quick congratulations to raging cajuns volleyball and especially head coach christy gray uh they swept lamar tonight at the historic earl k long gymnasium and it was actually head coach christy gray's first home game very for, nice. for the Cajuns. Congratulations so, to uh, Coach Gray. First win at OK Long. Well done, hopefully, Coach. Yeah. Hopefully first of many. And it was, a, it, going. And it, it was definitely a, a packed house. There's some, uh, there's some pictures on social media. Great crowd showed up for that match tonight. Um, Very nice. Be, before we go to break, let's do some in-state school <laughs> roasting. Um, All right. And I'm not going to begin where you two think that I will. Uh, we'll save that one for, for last. So I will begin with UL Monroe, mm-hmm. who just just barely survived Coach Sanders and Coach Prime, baby. And Jackson State 12 7. Um, I mean, to be to be one hundred percent honest, I did not watch this game. I did not care to watch this game. I did. I cannot tell you what went down, how it happened. I, I can. 30 seconds, Jerry, go. Uh, basically, I thought Jackson State actually outplayed uh, ULM. Of course the they night. did. The big, it's ULM. the big difference was they turned the ball over four times. Well, understand, though, Matt, no SWAC school has ever defeated a Sunbelt school in football in its history. So this was the closest possible chance that a SWAC school would have defeated well, a considering, school. Well, considering ULM. And it didn't happen. Considering ULM should be less than a SWAC school. I mean, but with that said, with that said, they, they just, uh, they, they <laughs> look, Jackson state was, was more athletic. They were faster, but they turned the ball over four times and really Monroe couldn't get an, they really couldn't get their offense going, but they have a field goal kicker who nailed four field goals and was just enough to win the game. Didn't so, even score um, a touchdown. Four no, no, they, field even, goals. Oh I my think they God. got in the red zone. They might've gotten the red zone like one time. I don't even know if they got in the red zone. That actually, is, but that is so on brand for the faux Hawks. 
But it's it's I'll tell you this: if they don't get better and improve from the way they played the other night, they even won't. though they're throwing a they're throwing a party in Monroe because oh my gosh, we beat Jackson State, they're going to finish the season one and eleven because oh they God. there's nothing that gives me hope to think that they can win another football game. No way, no way. They're not good. They're not good at all. No. Tulane, no. poor poor Greenies, they got murdered by Ole Miss. But what do you expect? It's Ole Miss. Dude, we have, we have said is, we have said for two years now that Ole Miss was on their way back up, they're, and they're they have de- they have definitely shown up this year. Hot uh, take: Ole Miss is the best team in the SEC. I I would Ooh. buy it. Ooh. I would buy it. Most athletic for I'm sure. Telling you, I'm they telling you that Alabama, most most fine. athletic for sure. That Alabama Ole Miss game is going to be that's going to be a great watch. game. Matt Corral seven up. touchdowns. On the Green Wave defense. Next on the list is LS Pooh, AM, Baton Rouge, Refineryville, Purple and Puke, whatever adjective you want to come up with. They suck. 49 to 21. Okay, so yes, sure, they won by four touchdowns. Can we talk about the fact that they gave up 21 points to Central Michigan? Can we talk about the fact that they had how many yards rushing? 70? Let's see. Yeah, I'll, they're, I'll pull they're, it up. They're, they can't run they, the football. They can't run the ball. And, and they're not going to win many games in the 84. SEC. can't run the ball. Yeah. No, but granted, no, they, they only they, gave up 56. But still, yeah. Doesn't 84. matter. If you can't run the football in the SEC, you're not going to beat Auburn. You're not going to beat Ole Miss. You're definitely, I mean, you're, the Alabama game's a loss. Just put that six, you know. six and six. We knew that already. You're not going to touch, you're not going to touch Florida. You're going to struggle against Arkansas. If you can't run the ball in the SEC and have to depend on just throwing it up in the air to Kishon Butte all game, you're going to play defenses that are going to scheme against hey, that hey, and they're hey. going to eat your lunch. He didn't throw it to Kayshawn Boutte all game. Give Jack Besh his credit. Okay. Uh, I will give Jack Besh his credit. Because Jack, time, Jack, I watched the LSU game with my in laws Saturday night. Jack Besh had one hell of a game. And that's great. But again, it's not going to be enough if you can't run the ball on these teams in the SEC. I mean, it. You, you got to have a balanced attack, and they do not have that. If you can't even get 100 yards on the ground against Central Michigan, how are you going to be able to do that against Auburn and, and, and Florida? You know, um, yeah, it, it, look, they got their work cut out for them. They need this is a must win this weekend in Starkville against Mississippi State. And look, Mississippi State's not that good of a football Hail team State. on paper. On paper, the Tigers are better, but I, I don't know, man. We said Hail that last State. year, and look at look at what State did in Baton Rouge. So it, yeah, it, Hail they better, State. They better, they better win that game this week if they want a chance. To That's all I'm gonna tell you. Hail State, Grambling, <laughs> Grambling gets shut out by Houston, forty-five to nothing. Surprise, surprise. Man. And lastly, SMU and La Tech. Oh, boy. God, for the longest time, I thought Tech was going to win this game, and I was going to have to go on social media and give them their credit. But then, (laughs) I wish we had the the radio call. SMU just ripped their heart out with a walk-off Hail Mary. And it's so funny the way it happened because the quarterback for SMU – he doesn't even throw it. Mordecai doesn't even throw it to hit a receiver. He just lobs it up and hopes that somebody comes down with it. And La Tech plays tip drill, which, I mean, 
is is what you're taught to do as the defender in a Hail Mary situation when you play tip drill. And so they do that, but they didn't account for the fact that an SMU receiver was streaking across their bunch of people in the end zone waiting to catch the tip. And that's exactly what happened, and they win the game 39-37. to Could not happen to a more deserving bunch of people. <laughs> yeah, not just the team, the whole fan base. The whole, the whole city, town. The entire alumni base, Carl Malone, all of them. Terry, Fat Bradshaw, all those bastards. Good for you. The, the radio call was beautiful. It was like... I don't know, man. It was like a funeral. It was like it was like the Vikings call when Favre throws. Paul the Allen, yeah, Paul it, it Allen. Was, it was just devastating, and I was like, I'm crying tears of joy. Oh, thank you so much. Oh, I, I was um, so I watched the game live, and um, they kicked the field goal. I'm like, oh geez, you know, SMU. I don't think had any timeouts left, and they get the ball like on their own twenty. And he throw the Hail Mary. They, get, they march down the field three or four plays. Of course, the infamous prevent defense gives SMU 50 yards of cushion, you know, so they're able to get that last playoff. And I screw, my, my wife is right next to me. We're ordering food. All of a sudden, the play happens. I scream out loud, scare the heck out of her. She's getting mad at me because she's like, baby, you scared me. And I'm like, SMU just beat Tech on a Hail Mary. SMU just beat Tech. And it felt, I, I told her, I was like, look, babe, as a Cajuns fan, you all know. When the tech, when tech loses, it feels like a win for us, but you know, it's funny. I have to, I have to laugh because just a few nights before that on their message boards, they were trashing our attendance against Ohio. Oh, why would we want to go to the sun belch as they call it, the sun belch to go sit in front of 2000 fans? Well, here's some, here's some stats for you. Uh, UL's attendance against, um, against Ohio the other day was a little over 17,700 people. The attendance for tech Two days later, while they talked about our crowd, 15,300 and I think like 65 or something and like that. And it didn't even look like that many and people was, on TV. Actual so, attendance so, was less than 10,000 people. But but with, with, with that, our game was on a Thursday night. We just had a tropical storm like a day before pass through. Meanwhile, they're on a, a Saturday afternoon, perfect weather, you know, no rain, you're playing an American conference school in SMU. That's very respectable. They talk about wanting to go to the American. That was the perfect dress rehearsal for them. And what do they do? They lay an egg. Nobody goes to the game. They lose on a hail Mary. I don't even know if Mike Oresco was there. He probably wasn't even interested in going. So yeah. And right now their fan base is in mutiny mode with the fact that uh, they talk about, they want to fire their coach and skip Holtz only to realize that just last year they gave him a five-year contract is- extension. So uh, to all the tech fans that want to talk smack on us, just let you know, you're stuck with mediocrity for the next five years. Enjoy it. Those delusional idiots, you know, first of all, imagine being a neck fan right now. You give up a 20-point lead to an SEC school, and then you come back and get your ass kicked, and then you turn around and lose on a Hail Mary. Oh, my God, in front of nobody. And you almost uh, lost ready the Southeastern, too. You y'all, almost lost the Southeastern. Y'all, y'all, yeah. re- y'all ready for this? Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. This is going to be great. Two seconds. Oh, wait. It's muted. Of course, they're in interest. And uh, I think that's a – I don't know how direct I can be. Oh, I know what uh, you're doing. With that. I think if I were in Lafayette's position – I'll be trying way to too long. Way Killed to the the, the timing was bad. Like, uh, yeah, you know what? 
You know what? You just have to edit it out, man. I'll just I'll just have to fix it. We'll we'll let the podcast viewers understand how this works. Well, here's the deal. Here's the deal. They think they're LSU. Go look at the board. There was one moron texting the podcast account saying things like, we don't return trips to G5 schools like LSU. (laughs) We don't like LSU. I don't don't know if they understand that like 40% of their fan base goes to Baton Rouge on Saturdays. Like, because, because 40% of their fan base lives in Baton Rouge because they are the people with common freaking sense that you don't want to live in Ruston, Louisiana. First of all, okay, let's be real. First of all, have you been to Ruston? First of all, let's be real. You, you are in a conference right now that you thought was so superior to where we are in the Sun Belt, yet you've got three or four teams that are dying to get out to come to our conference, okay, number one. Number two, you have a $24 million budget. What makes you think Whoa. that you're half, on any level half of that anywhere is, close to the SEC? Half of that is state subsidies. So they really have like a 12 or $13 million budget. So what makes you think you're anywhere close to even saying something that ridiculous about we don't return G5 games? Well, are, are, are you what? Yes. What? Yeah. And they hang on to the, the time that they beat us with Hudspeth. And look, I'm not proud of that. And yeah, it sucked. But you won't. Brian Maggard called their athletic director last year to fill in the game and they wouldn't take the phone call. Don't talk to me about being scared to play. Don't talk to me about separation. You are looking up at us, la neck guy, frat douchebag that wants to talk shit on Twitter. You are looking up at the Sun Belt. I know it hurts, but let it sink in. It's true. Again, I mean, it's very you had true. A chance, you had a chance to show yourself uh, to, the, to the country about how you're worthy of the American conference. You had SMU, a respectable American school, come to your house on a sunny Saturday afternoon. Sunny Saturday afternoon, and all you can draw was 15-3? I'm sorry, man. Like, that's, that's not going to cut it, bro. It's not going to cut it, and then you lose on a hail mary as as with the cherry on top. So I, I'm looking. Have fun at, in, look, have fun in Conference USA because that's where you're going to be. That's where you're stuck at. Have fun. Uh, I mean, I'm looking at some of their board stuff, and one of these guys are saying that we have a golden opportunity. SMU's coming to town, and nobody in our administration reached out to Commissioner Michael Resco. We should be rolling out the red carpet. I would love to know what the red carpet looks like in Rustonia. <laughs> Anybody have an idea what that looks like? Um, I don't know, man. Are they going to pull the, 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 the going to pull the goat wagon around when he gets off the plane and hop in the hay? The like, thing, the things that the like? things that I would want to say probably can't be said on this podcast, and we say a lot, look, man. Look, man, I'm, there's nothing to say. Let let there look. You saw what happened. Let that do all the talking for you. Good look God. at the fact that we've got. Two or three schools from Conference USA wanting to come to our conference, wanting to leave Tech behind and come to our conference. That that speaks for itself to me. There's nothing to say except I can just look at him and smirk and smile and go, well, you want to be big time in Conference USA while all your good schools jet to come to our conference? And stay if there. I was, you can if, stay there. If I was Have in fun. Lafayette's position, I and would be looking the- to move up to a conference like Conference USA. 
And now all of a sudden they hate the school president, which is so great because just like a year ago, he's the best thing ever. I mean, these people, they are on another planet when it comes to a delusional fan base. Oh, God. Okay, plenty, plenty more to talk about in this episode of Rage and Review. Uh, we'll go behind enemy lines with Danny Reed here in this next segment. And then in the final segment, we will talk Cajuns in the NFL. And Jerry will bring you his weekly, Man, I Tell You What. Don't go anywhere. Rage and Review. Be right back after this. Chris Russo of Russo Exploration encourages you to donate to the Raging Cajun Athletic Foundation. The RCAF, the official fundraising arm of Louisiana Athletics, supports over 400 student-athletes across 16 NCAA sports. You can invest in the RCAF today for as little as $5 a month. Just go to myrcaf.org to get started or call 337-851-RCAF. As always, donations to the RCAF are tax-deductible. Your investment today will enrich the lives of of every athlete that puts on the vermilion and white. Go Cajuns! Schilling Distributing Company, Acadiana's top alcohol distributor for over 70 years, has been a proud supporter of Louisiana athletics for many of those years. Now, they've kindly decided to become the exclusive distributing sponsor of the Rage and Review podcast. This is just another chapter in Schilling Distributing's rich history of giving back to the Lafayette community. Starting as an Anheuser-Busch exclusive distributor, they're now expanded to include local brews for your sipping pleasure. Schilling services over 1,500 local businesses throughout the Acadiana area, employing 160 Rajan Cajun residents, and they boast over 1,400 years of combined experience. Corporately headquartered right here in Lafayette at 2901 Moss Street, Schilling Distributing encourages Cajun Nation to enjoy their beverages responsibly and reminds you to download the Liquid Finder app today. Welcome back to Rage and Review. Matt Miguez, Jerry Bear, Man About Town, Josh Jagno. So in that first segment, we kind of wrapped up the Ohio game. Talked some serious realignment. Got to do a little LaTeX roasting. Talked about the, the Louisiana nip in the air that we've all been longing for for so damn long. Now it's time to go behind enemy lines. And this week we are previewing the Eagles of Georgia Southern. And last week we had so much fun sitting down with Russ Eisenstein, the play-by-play guy for Ohio. We figured, why not bring in another play-by-play guy? So for the second time in two years, welcome Danny Reed into Rage and Review. Danny, what's going on, man? It hurts that y'all call me an enemy, but I guess in this case, I, that's a compliment. I mean, so w- w- I'll put it this way. For 364 days out of the year, you are a friend. 
Especially when we beat Louisiana Tech, right? Right. God, yes. So make that make God, that 363 yes. days. Six, right. 363 <laughs> days. No, no, no. Or no. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, because that day and, counts. And, and honestly, yeah. I'll, I'll give you this. 364 days and 23 hours. But for, that, but for that 60 minutes of scoreboard time, man, I have no choice but to hate you. <laughs> I have no choice. See, I, I don't know a whole lot about the rivalries that they have with you guys and with ULM. I just know that there's a lot of animosity. And the, the bowl game, my experience is a little bit different. The bowl game was a lot of fun last year because I was only in New Orleans for about seven hours. But being able to win that game as handily as the team did to end the season that was so wrapped by COVID and to get on a plane with a bowl trophy was was a pretty cool thing. Yeah, you know, obviously we want to we want to thank you for for your hand in the in the Louisiana Tech ass whooping because anytime anytime Tech gets just destroyed, it's a good time for Cajun fans. Uh, <laughs> you know, t- talk about your your seven hours in New Orleans. How was the game? You know, kind of kind of recap that for us. The night before, I was with Georgia Southern men's basketball, and we had just finished up a five-day trip in Florida. We played three games down there at two different sites. We had a back-to-back multi-team event at Florida International, had a travel day to Florida Gulf Coast, and then it was it was a pretty bad loss to FTCU. Thought that Georgia Southern was the better team that couldn't make a shot from the outside, and then I knew that I was going to have to fly the next morning to get to New Orleans for a fairly early game. So I was up at about 3 a.m. in Fort Myers, had to get a plane there to Atlanta to connect, and then from Atlanta down to New Orleans, our color guy came and got me, and this was maybe an hour and a half before the pregame show started. And granted, I don't go on right until kickoff anyway, but I like to be there just to make sure everything's in order. And I've never been that deep into the Superdome before. Granted, we go there for football media day before they moved it, but I'd never been in the booth. I'd never actually seen the field. And to, to actually get a look at it from that high up and realize that you're in a place where, especially where we're from, there's a lot of Falcons fans. So to be where there's a lot of Saints fans, I know that you guys are probably Saints fans. It was it was definitely a little bit different. Our sideline guy's a huge Falcons fan, so we had to convince the next to be on the trip. No, I'm just kidding. He would have been there anyway. But to know that you were going to have a chance to win one of the better bowl tie-ins that the Sun Belt has and to do it against a team and a, a group of teams in Louisiana Tech that used to be in the Sun Belt in a number of sports and to know that so many teams and people around the league were pulling for Georgia Southern to end the year like that and to do it in such dominant fashion. And look, they're going to point to the fact that, oh, the quarterback was out. They had guys opt out. They had a receiver opt out. They lost a couple of guys to injury during the game, but one of their radio guys, it wasn't Dave Niss, and that was the first time getting to meet him. Quick sidebar, he was the original voice of Georgia Southern from 1967 to 1970. Before he moved on, he was at William & Mary in Arkansas Tech for a little bit before going to down to Ruston. But it wasn't him that said it, but somebody on their social media, one of the radio people said, well, Georgia Southern just licked the red off our candy. And I'd never heard that before, but I absolutely loved that, and I think he pretty much got it right whenever it's a 38 to three win like that. Yeah, I, absolutely. I mean, like we, like we said, before we started recording the, the three teams that we're always cheering for is the Cajuns, whoever's playing LSU and whoever's playing La Tech. So uh, <laughs> we were definitely Georgia Southern fans that day. And, and we appreciate what you guys did to, as we call them, Rustonia. But, uh, <laughs> you know, a couple weeks ago, Danny, you did a sleepover sleepover in the press box of Paulson Stadium. 
And I, I, I spent, I spent a good amount of time on Facebook live ribbing you during it. Um, you know, kind of talk about that. Tell us what, what that was for. Um, just kind of fill our viewers in on that. All right. That I definitely take as a compliment, but this was about a month ago where apparently Kanye, before he was finished up his album, he said he was going to stay inside Mercedes Benz stadium up in Atlanta until he got finished. They set him up with a room and a cot and all that, whether he actually did or whether it was just for show, I have no idea. But one of our uh, broadcast team members for the tailgate show posted it and said, I can confirm or point to the GS Eagles voice. That's my Twitter handle. will not be staying in Paulson until the start of the season against Gardner Webb, but I was sitting in the living room with my girlfriend. I thought that actually be kind of a decent idea if I just had a sleepover one night. And I figured when we get tied into our athletic foundation, which was fairly recently renamed as the Eric Russell fund after the late great head football coach here who got George Southern program back on the map and established national prominence. So tried to solicit donations and wasn't like I was asking people to pay me to do this, but, Look, if you guys can reach a certain figure towards the Eric Russell Fund to benefit our student athletes and athletic scholarships, I'd be happy to spend a night up there. I said, if you if you do a thousand, I'll do one night. If you do two thousand, I'll do two, three thousand, three. And I was going to cap it there because I do want to have some sort of a life and don't want to spend my entire time sleeping in a press box. But we ended up raising thirteen hundred dollars. I stayed that one night, and being there with the lights off and nobody else around was. It, it was a little freaky, but it was a little cool at the same time, seeing it from that perspective. And the color guy that I mentioned that picked me up at the airport right before the New Orleans Bowl, he actually snuck into the press box and started doing the Field of Dreams style voice. And it, it freaked me out a little bit because I couldn't figure out who it was. But then I recognized his voice towards the end. I went on the field. I ran for a couple of touchdowns. And the baseball team was actually doing its conditioning workout the next morning at 6. So even if I wanted to sleep in, there was no chance I was doing that because the lights came on pretty early and they got cold about 6 a.m. It, it, it was different. I don't know if I'd ever do it again, but it was different. And it went towards our student athletes. So it was a, it was a success for everybody. Danny, um, coming off a of COVID year, uh, it seems like fans are back in the stadiums. Uh, if you've seen on TV around the country, the atmospheres are pretty much back to what they were for the most part pre-COVID. Um, and that goes for Georgia Southern as well. We're experiencing it in Lafayette. Um, the first game against Gardner-Webb, uh, the Eagles came out with a five-point victory. Talk a little bit about the atmosphere there, uh, what it was like you know, to come back into a, a fairly decent crowd at Paulson. Um, and talk a little bit about what we can expect as far as the atmosphere going into this week at Paulson when the Cajuns come to town. Yeah, I think we had just over 15,000, which is two and a half times the size of what the biggest crowd was through all of 20. We had, I think we had to cap it somewhere around 6,200 last year. But the comment that we kept making is those 6,200 people were the most rabid of the Georgia Southern fans. So at times, even though the crowd was reduced, you still had the loudest and most passionate people. So it felt like it was pretty close to full, but you can't under, underestimate what it means to have that many people there at one time. It was something we hadn't seen really a whole lot in 2019. We had six home games that year, but three of those were torrential rainstorms. So the attendance dipped a little bit, but even so the 10,000 or so fans that were there for those games were the loudest. And it, it felt like it was a very unique thing and it made it feel like at times that it was full. But getting 15,000 back there was was meaningful, and they got a chance to see all of the new amenities 
at Paulson. We have a new general manager for Georgia Southern Sports Properties. Ironically, it is my color guy, Terry Harvin, who's been the color guy for the Georgia Southern Sports Network for 16 years now. And he's gone to work from a corporate standpoint, getting a lot of new restaurant sponsors to have setups and kiosks throughout the stadium. There's now a pregame concert that takes place right near the entrance where the Cajuns are going to get dropped off on Saturday. It's a lot different than what it was last year when we all had to spread out and be cognizant of wearing masks and just be really careful about every step that we were taking. And even though we're still doing that to a degree, you've got to be on that honor system that the people that are there are being responsible enough with vaccinations and try to keep everybody else safe so we all can enjoy just more than one experience. But I got up on the stage, had a chance to help welcome the team back during the Eagle Walk out at the tailgate, and then seeing more than 15K there, even though it was against an FCS team and even though the game was closer than it should have been, that was that was really nice to see. Being that this is the first home game in three weeks and it's you guys that are coming, I know you're going to travel. I know you got great fans. I've had a chance to meet a lot of them in whatever sport it's been since you've come here and we've gone to Lafayette. I, I think that this is going to be a one of those where those fans who maybe haven't made the trip before can see how Georgia Southern tailgates maybe take some ideas back. Maybe they could talk shop about what to cook, what to bring, how to do a setup. And then next year, my guess when the schedule comes out, hopefully Georgia Southern is heading back to Louisiana. We can take some of those ideas. We can experience that full go again. But it, I do like the fact that this is the third straight year that our teams are starting conference play because I think that this is a matchup of two of the best atmospheres in the league, and it may be the two best, but definitely happy that it's in Statesboro because Georgia Southern is in dire need of getting the home crowd back on its side after a couple of rough ones. Well, it should be a great matchup. One thing we've always talked about is how every time we go play at Paulson, it's an intense environment. So we have to beat out the crowd as well as the Eagles uh, on the field. Uh, so, Danny, um, you know, one thing that Cajun Nation is very excited about is the fact that we don't have to hear the name Shy Works anytime soon. Um, we saw that Shy ended up transferring, I believe, to Louisville. So he's no longer the starting quarterback. I mean, the guy's given us headaches for quite a while. But now that he's gone... Uh, pretty much it's, it's, it's probably the big position that the Eagles are pretty much facing a challenge of replacing them with at quarterback. Uh, it seems like going into the season, uh, uh, you, well, first of all, you've had three different starters at quarterback in three games, uh, which yeah. include uh, Cam Ransom. And the projected quarterback in the spring was supposed to be Justin Tomlin, who, of course, I believe he got uh, – ineligible for a game or two, but he was able to come back uh, against Arkansas this past weekend, had a pretty decent performance. Um, moving forward, especially whether it's this weekend or, or moving forward in the season, um, would you say that Cam Ransom has challenged Justin Tomlin enough for the starting job? Or now that Justin Tomlin is back, would you say that he's pretty much going to be the guy from here on out uh, at that quarterback position? All right, to get a full picture of what our quarterback situation has been like, we better rewind to the spring because we're neglecting a guy, James Graham, who transferred in from Georgia Tech. And at the time, everybody thought that he was going to be the heir apparent because he had the, the experience. He had been a starter at Georgia Tech before eventually falling from grace, but he was going to try to resurrect his career in state pro. He was high school teammates out in Fitzgerald with J.D. King, who hopefully makes his debut at running back this weekend. He's still been rehabbing the knee injury that he suffered last November against Troy. 
but it just didn't work out for Graham at quarterback. They moved him to receiver. He wasn't really taking advantage of his opportunities, and he ends up entering the transfer portal. So now he's a memory. So you go into the year thinking that Tomlin's going to be your guy, but academically, he had to sit for two games. Georgia Southern is lucky that it wasn't more, but Tomlin did a lot of work to make sure that it was only two games. Ironically, he sat the first two games last year, which is why he was not in the plans when Eagles and the Cajuns played the second game of 2020. So you go into that first game against Gardner-Webb thinking, okay, is it going to be Cam Ransom, a true freshman? Is it going to be a redshirt freshman and Sam Kenderson? Or is it going to be Amari Jones, the Tulane transfer, whom you guys know about, having seen him in the Cure Bowl from 2018 when he had a really good all-purpose game that day down in Orlando? Ultimately, they decided that Jones had the most experience collegiately, even though he hadn't played quarterback since his senior year at Frisco Heritage High out in Texas. Someone that you're not going to ask to throw the ball 20 times and with this offense. Anyway, you should be asking anybody to throw 20 times, but he was solid, ran for 98 yards. He had four of his seven passes. Ransom did play. His first official snap was a fourth and two touchdown pass. Chase Hancock, who made his first career catch. He actually hit a seven, his first seven passes of that game. So those two had a really nice timeshare. Didn't see any of Kenerson, but then you go to FAU. Ransom gets the start, and they try to use Jones back in his more natural running back, slot, wide receiver kind of role. All three of them end up playing quarterback because Jones banged up his right ankle, or I'm sorry, Ransom banged up his right ankle. They went to Kenerson. He ended up fumbling inside the 20. They tried Amari Jones, a quarterback, for a snap. So you can see the kind of inconsistency that has existed at that position. But Tomlin served his two games. He got the start against Arkansas, showed flashes. He had 9 of 14 passes in the first half. He didn't get helped out because his receivers dropped five balls during the game. But when he breaks a 76-yard touchdown run in the second quarter against an SEC defense, he had a chance to show off that Rare straight-ahead track speed. He was a member of the 4 by 100 team at Southwest the Cab just outside of Atlanta. He's definitely got the most experience, even though he has only started five games. He has played in 17. He's been the heir apparent to shy ever since he got to campus in 2018. But Ransom has been practicing, but they did move Sam Kenerson full-time to wide receiver. Amari Jones has been still working in as running back. Now I think the offense at least has direction, and if there is somebody that's going to lead the team at quarterback, it's going to be Tomlin. Not that Ransom isn't capable, but Tomlin just has the most experience. He had a really good spring, messed really well with offensive coordinator Doug Roos. It's his offense to run. Ransom will get time, but this is Tomlin's team. Danny, I just want to say thanks again. We always love having you on the podcast. You come with so much information and uh, uh, you're real professional to talk to about the, the meat and potatoes of the football part. So we really appreciate that. I wanted to say that uh, you actually answered my next question. So I'm going to switch it up a little bit. Um, we saw that the depth chart actually reflects uh, Cam Ransom as a running back. Is he going to see time in the backfield or is that just something that's off on the depth chart or just curious about that? No, the only time you would see Ransom on the field is whether is when he is taking snaps as a true quarterback. And he's the passing option, not to use a terrible pun, but Georgia Southern is still an option team at its core. But what you've got in Cam, he is a lefty, so is Henderson. But the way that he operates, he is definitely more of a passer. He is a capable runner, but not somebody you are going to ask to run the ball 10 or 15 times as a true option quarterback. Now, he's put on about 20 pounds since he got here, during the summer, he didn't get a chance to visit campus during the middle of the pandemic. So he turned down Virginia Tech, Boston College, UCF, USF, Kentucky. 
to become an eagle. And you could see why, because the ball comes out of his hand differently. We're not used to seeing somebody that's so polished as a passer. Usually it is an athlete that is playing quarterback, but Ransom is the best pure passer that I've seen since I've gotten here. And just for the way that he throws the ball, I'd say probably one of the best pure passers that's ever been on campus. But they're trying to craft an offense where you can use Tomlin and his dual threat abilities and Ransom and his newfound dual threat ability. Now, when he's in, his strength is to throw the football. But somebody that is getting more comfortable and more confident with his option read, trying to incorporate the pitch game when Georgia Southern goes double and triple option, somebody that is going to be a part of things. And with Amari Jones, the only time you would see him take a quarterback snap is in an emergency situation. He is much more valuable as a running back, as a slot, as a wide receiver, looking to be as creative as possible to get him the football. Okay. Well, that clears it up for me. Uh, I have, I have, you know, FAU was probably a, a, a better measuring stick for Georgia Southern. Um, but Arkansas is a more recent game. I will try to tie those two together. And I would ask, is there a positive trend that you're noticing offensively? I know that there's some dark numbers and obviously you want more production than what you've seen. Um, is there something that you're noticing that the team is doing well and you expect them to continue to improve as they go forward uh, and specific to the offense? I'd like to say the offensive line because the five guys that were in the positions they were in spring ball are still the five guys that are in there right now. And I thought they played really well against Gardner-Webb. And George Southern had 500 yards of total offense and ran 85 plays. And we thought that that was a pretty good blueprint, even though they only had three touchdowns in five red zone possessions. But the last couple of weeks, it's, it's just been the whole unit has been ravaged by inconsistency that you can trace back to not having that consistent voice, that consistent set of feet and legs at quarterback. And I'm hoping that since Justin Tomlin will make his second straight start on Saturday, that that's going to improve. And the amount of comfort that all those guys feel is only going to improve. There, There's a lot of depth at running back. And even though just about every primary ball carrier that Georgia Southern has, has been injured at some point the first three weeks of this season, it can be a little bit unsettling. One of those guys that's been out, though, J.D. King, is expected to come back, and he's somebody that ran for 100 yards and a touchdown against the Cajuns last year, had a touchdown run against the Cajuns back in 2019. He had over 800 yards in 2019 and was leading the league in rushing last year before the torn ACL against Troy. And he was doing so well that three weeks later, after the injury, he was still leading the league in rushing, and he ended up finishing eighth having not played the final six games of the season. And I'm not saying that he's going to get the ball 25 times on Saturday, but that's somebody that I think that you could trust with 10 to 15 carries, work that in with Logan Wright's 10 to 15 touches, Gerald Green, Amari Jones, somewhere 10 to 15 touches. And oh, by the way, freshman Jalen White from Daleville, Alabama, is just waiting to explode onto the scene, has all the ability in the world after an amazing high school career where he was one of the top running backs in the state. He could have gone anywhere. He chose Georgia Southern. There's a lot of different guys that could carry the load, carry the ball and do it successfully. And now I would say that that unit is probably the healthiest that it has been since maybe late last year. It, 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 the time seems right for that unit to take a step forward with the offensive line gaining more comfort and confidence and with a consistent quarterback. You would hope that that's where this team really takes off offensively. 
You mentioned health of the team and just doing a little research, I noticed that there has been some attrition for the Eagles early in the season. Uh, maybe comment on that and what has that done mentally for those guys? I know coming off of FAU, you wanted to perform better there, but I know just the bad taste in your mouth from Arkansas. Like I feel like the Eagles think that they can compete in those games. How did they feel? Where are they at mentally and how has maybe some injuries affected that? If you want me to talk just about injuries, we may need to tack on another hour. And I don't know how much time you bought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know the, the list is pretty lengthy. It's, it, it, it's got elements of 2019 to it when Georgia Southern lost three offensive linemen for the year and actually lost one to a career-ending series of concussions, which was unfortunate because he was the starting center in that game that Georgia Southern played against the Cajuns at Paulson. But this year, the defense has been really racked by injuries. You've got three starters that are out for the year. Inside linebackers, Todd Bradley-Glenn and Marquez Watson-Trent. Also, Derek Canteen at corner, who was an All-American last year, tying for the National League with those six interceptions. They're all out for the rest of the year. The good thing is that there is depth on the defensive line. They'll play as many as 10 or 11 guys up front as part of that 3-4 scheme. But inside linebacker is... Got a lot of young guys, a lot of inexperienced guys playing. You've got a couple of power five transfers in the middle. Kevon Glenn from Florida State, Todrick Jackson from North Carolina that have gotten a lot of reps the last two games, but that's two games worth. And I don't know if that's a whole lot to go on. Now behind them, you've got two true freshmen and Mike Edwards and Eldrick Robinson who both had tackles for loss against Arkansas. They're not typical linebackers in terms of size. I think they'll fill out that they're very fast. As Coach Scott Sloan says, they're very twitchy, so they're very good at defeating blocks. I would think that they play a lot of reps on Saturday. And then for the Eagles, they had to move a wide receiver, Najee Thompson, back to cornerback to give them a little bit of depth. And somebody who came in as a defensive back in 2018, he's always been really good on special teams, but they moved him from wide out back to corner just to give themselves a little bit of depth with Daryl Baker and Tyler Bride starting there. But even Bride left at the end of the fourth quarter against Arkansas after he collided with Zion McGee, a backup outside linebacker. I, I don't think that he's going to be much of a threat to miss Saturday's game. But starting safety Anthony Wilson was injured twice on Saturday, left in the third quarter, went to the locker room, eventually came back out. It's, you name a position, it has probably at least someone that is out for a considerable amount of time or has been out for a considerable amount of time. The phrase that they like to use here is next man up, and I'm sure a lot of teams want to phrase it that way. But eventually it's to a point where your depth is threatened so much that next man up just means, okay, where's the next healthy body? And that means that they've got to be baptized by fire. And that's especially been the case at inside linebacker and secondary where the Eagles have been gutted with big pass plays. They've given up more passes of 40-plus this year than they did in 13 games last year. That's been the really unfortunate thing. But you would hope that the more that they play, the more they see, the better that they communicate, and that's something that's going to get better. Yeah, sure. And you mentioned those P5 transfers. Were they were they signed to help and, and be in a support role, or were they expected to get a lot of reps early in the season? I think eventually they were going to be asked to do more, but when you've got your two starters for the season in Glenn and Trent that are now done for the year, I mean, Todd Riley Glenn is, he's been through more than most people should. He had to beat skin cancer when he was in high school. He's had three different knee injuries at Georgia Southern. He tore his bicep in that first scrimmage. So he's got this 
Nintendo-like arm brace on. If you remember the old school Nintendo, you use that to play Duck Hunt or whatever, Mario, whatever. That's the kind yes. of thing it looks like out on his arm. And unfortunately, he's been restricted to mostly student coaching duties with Trent. He tore his ACL in the fourth quarter of the Gardner-Webb game. And then with Canteen, he played 10 plays against FAU and then tore his pectoral, so he's got to watch for the rest of the year. But no, with, with Jackson, with Glenn, Glenn only played five games in two years at Florida State. He had a really good high school career at Dutchtown in Georgia, which is just right outside of Atlanta. Kind of split the difference between middle Georgia and Atlanta. Just looking for an opportunity to play a lot and show what he can do. With Kadri Jackson, he was a solid number two linebacker for Jay Bateman's defense at North Carolina. And the expectation was after spring ball, he was going to be more involved but he thought that Georgia Southern was going to be a better fit. And now the Eagles will have him for three years since he used his one-time transfer, didn't have to sit. So the Eagles will be able to have him on the inside for three years. But basically, he's playing a lot for the first time. Glenn certainly is playing a lot for the first time. And those are the two guys that are right in the middle of your defense. Chatting with Danny Reed. Danny, you talked about the defense and you talked about how they've been very susceptible to giving up the big play recently. You know, I have a couple of likely causes to that, but I want to hear it from you. You know, is that a byproduct of the offense just not being able to stay on the field, losing guys like Reynard Ellis and Rashad Bird, lack of experience in key positions, or just simply a quality a quality thing from the offenses that you're facing? Well, three of the starters that were lost off of last year's defense, one at every level, Raymond Johnson, who's now playing defensive line for the New York Giants, Rashad Bird was a three-year starter at inside linebacker, and then Kendrick Duncan at safety, who battled hip injuries last year, only played a handful of games, but he transferred to Louisville. He's starting there. He's off to a tremendous start. I think he's got a long pro career ahead of him. He can stay healthy. I think he has the chance to be that good, but all three guys were vocal and they all three guys were trustworthy. They would help set everything up. Those were guys that other players, younger players gravitated to. And now you've got 11 guys on the field who sometimes they're looking around wondering where the voice is coming from, where they have to be that voice. And some guys have stepped forward a little bit on the defensive line. Dylan Springer and CJ Wright have tried to be a little bit more vocal. I would say that even though he was knocked out a couple of times, during the Arkansas game, Anthony Wilson has tried to be a little bit more vocal, but they're just looking for consistency. I, I get your point on the offense. The first game, Eagles were able to establish long drives. They were 5-5 five five in the red zone, and things appeared to be on point. But the last couple of weeks, it's been way too many punts. It's been way too many drives. that have been four plays or less. A lot more Anthony Beck than we would like to see. I want him as a field goal holder and a PAT guy, not as a punter, even though he was great at Arkansas. But you would hope that if they can sustain long drives, they end in points and not in turnovers on downs, which the Eagles have done four times already in the first three games of the season. They've only given it away twice on true turnovers, but to hold the football for times at four or five minutes and then not get anything out of it, that's deflating to a defense. And then they're back on the field. And then a couple of plays later, it seems that one of those, those chunk plays, one of those 40-yard passes hits, and all of a sudden, you just gave up two for one. It's like in basketball where you miss a bucket, then give up one on the other end. It's a five or six-point swing. Well, with Georgia Southern, it's been a couple of times where you felt like the game has swung 14 points when you didn't finish a drive, and then you gave up a quick touchdown. You know, Danny, talking about the offense, Doug Roose is back as your offensive coordinator. Uh, and, you know, this is his second – this is technically his second year as – 
OC. He called the final three games of the year last year. Uh, but this right. is his second stint on Southern's coaching staff. In those three games last year, he had two. He the Eagles averaged 271.7 rushing yards a game, nearly 400 yards of total offense, and 28 points per game. Now, coming from the Bob DeBess era, where it seemed like you guys never scored an opening drive touchdown in his tenure to the offensive production under Doug Roos. You know, talk talk about how that's kind of changed the game plan for the Eagles and how you guys can build on that in his in his second season going forward. Yeah, that opening drive touchdown stab was not one I enjoyed remembering, but thankfully it stopped at 29 games when the Eagles scored on the opening drive at ULM last year. And even though we had to contribute to ULM season, we almost actually helped ULM win on that last play. But it's a new season. They just beat Jackson State. Happy for Nick. Happy for Mike. Happy for Coach Bowden. Hopefully they can pick up some more wins. The, the thing that was very unique about Coach Cruz's situation, yeah, he called the final three games last year, but he was still calling somebody else's offense. People just assumed that, oh, well, you've got a couple of days, you can just install a new system, you can do things your way. That's not necessarily true. And even though Coach Roos and Coach DeBess are from the same option-style family, whether it's pistol or gun, it's not Doug's system that he was calling. It was a tweaked version of what Coach DeBess had installed to start the 2018 season. Now, granted, that first game against FAU – there were some subtleties. There was a puller here and there, maybe a different look where something looked open, an extra blocker. There were some tweaks, but at the same time, what a term might meant for Coach Roos, he couldn't use yet because that term would have been something totally different for Coach DeBeth. And I'm not going to say anything specifically because, well, number one, I don't know what the terms were, but he had to be very careful about how he phrased his play calling against FAU, against App State, and then in the bowl game against Louisiana Tech. But now that he has put his system in, eventually they do want to be a team that's capable of throwing the ball more. And through the first three games, they've had to throw it 24 times a game because they've been down by a lot in the last two contests. You'd like to say, well, we're still going to run it 50, 60 times a game. But when you get down three and four scores and you need to get in the end zone quickly, you need to open up the offense, which it's beneficial to have somebody like Cam Ransom here because that's more of his strength. But for Georgia Southern, if they can get that ground game established early, which against FAU they did, they had a really good opening drive. It was nearly six minutes, 95 yards, missed the extra point, but it was 6 nothing. It was still 6 nothing until late in the second quarter, but by that point, Georgia Southern had lost its momentum after the fumble in the red zone. FAU dominated the rest of the game. Arkansas dominated from opening kickoff of triple zeros in the fourth quarter on Saturday. And you would like to think that Georgia Southern is more the team that had 500 yards against Gardner-Webb and not the team that has only posted 490 total yards the last two games. But I've said this a lot the last couple of weeks, and the stats back it up. If Georgia Southern can't run the football, they do not win. Have not won a game when being outrushed since 2011. In 10 years, 24 games. When Georgia Southern gets outrushed, they don't win. They've got to be able to throw, but 24 times a game, I think that they, even they would agree right now is way too much. They need to be a team that runs the ball 40 to 60 times a game, control clock, still use tempo, but being the smash-mouth style of offense that has made this culture and this team such a dominant force since it was recreated 40 years ago. 
Danny, moving over to defense real quickly. Um, your defensive line. Um, just last year, you had basically your staple that is no longer with the team, uh, Raymond Johnson, uh, first team Sun Belt in 2020, star, veteran player, big time leader. Uh, with him gone, uh, guys like AJ Watkins and Justin Ellis, how have they done to fill in that void knowing that he's no longer there? Um, and overall, what are your thoughts on the defensive line and the front seven as a whole? It's, it's the deepest suited on the team. They recruited specifically that way. Defensive line assistant Vic Cabral is one who likes to rotate a lot of guys just because with so many up-tempo offenses that are trying to run as many plays as possible, when they sub, you've got to be able to sub, especially up front. And oftentimes, it's not just a guy or two. It's three in, three out, three in, three out. So you need 10 guys or so to be fresh over the course of a 60-minute game. But with the two that you've asked about, A.J. Watkins is somebody that when he's healthy, I think he's been really good. He's been solid at his worst, but he's been potentially really good. He had two tackles for loss in the opening game against Gardner-Webb. He didn't play the back half of last year because of injury, but somebody when he has been in, he has been very good, somebody who's from just outside of Atlanta. And then Georgia Southern got the gift when Justin Ellis transferred here from Syracuse a few years ago. He had to sit out a year due to transfer rules at that point. Debuted in 2019 at LSU, tore his ACL, was done for the rest of the year. Really came into his own about midway through last season. National television against South Alabama. He had two and a half tackles for loss in that victory at Paulson. And he's been a steady guy up front. I think he had a sack in the bowl game against Louisiana Tech as well. It's good to, to talk about those two because specifically they are defensive ends and how that they've tried to make up for Raymond Johnson. Look, it's going to be tough to replace 14 and a half tackles for loss regardless of who you've got returning. But those two, it's it's all about health. And two guys who have already suffered season-ending injuries in their career, if you keep them on the field and you keep that depth, it's only going to make that unit that much better. Danny, Raging Review plays, we pay a lot of attention to special teams because I personally think that not enough people pay attention to special teams. They just play too big of a, a role in outcome the outcome of games. And um, anytime that we do these type of interviews, I always do a pretty good amount of research with regard to special team. Now, Georgia Southern has been good on special teams for years and years and years. Last year, however, it was, it was bad. I mean, let's be honest. All of a sudden, uh, we couldn't make a kick. Punting was a problem. Kick coverage wasn't so good. I know anytime you replace a veteran kicker, you're going to have a, a young guy come in like Rainer did. They're, you have a potential to have struggles. And that, that looked like that was the issue for, for Georgia Southern in their kicking game last year. Outside of that, is there any explanation as to why as a whole special team struggled so much last year? And um, after you address that, could you kind of tell us about the interchangeable pieces with Britt Williams and Rayner in 2021 and ha have things changed and gotten a little bit better this season? Yeah, that, that's another issue that Georgia Southern had to deal with last year. When Tyler Bass goes to the Buffalo Bills, how are you going to replace somebody who almost kicked to the Super Bowl last year? Somebody who had an awesome year, made numerous 50-yard field goals during the playoffs. We're really proud of him, and we knew that he was going to be a success as soon as he got to campus in 15. But Rayner was solid kicking field goals. He was 18 out of 25 years in terms of field goals made. But the Eagles struggled in kickoff coverage. They gave up two touchdowns because they had trouble getting height on kickoffs. They went back and forth between Rayner and Dylan Lewis, who was a true freshman. He's no longer enrolled at Georgia Southern. 
but they also had six kickoffs go out of bounds. And in that way, you're naturally giving up field position, but gave up touchdowns to Texas State, App State. The App State touchdown is actually what put them ahead in the fourth quarter and contributed to them coming back to beat the Eagles at Paulson in the regular season finale last year. But also punt coverage. Eagles gave up a 40-yard punt return to Coastal, a 60-yard punt return in the ball game to Louisiana Tech. It just was not a very Georgia Southern-like year special teams-wise. Coming into this season, Britton Williams out of Richmond Hill, much ballyhooed, strong leg, someone who was heavily recruited, a preferred walk-on at Georgia Southern. He had to kick in his debut because Alex Rayner was unavailable against Gardner-Webb. So Williams comes in, makes his first career kick, 49-yarder, no Georgia Southern kicker had ever made one that long to start a career. Goes three of three, makes all three of his extra points, had two touchbacks on kickoff, and he was named Special Teams Player of the Week. It was great. Go to FAU, though, score the touchdown in the opening drive, missed his extra points. He's been inconsistent in practice as well. Sometimes he'll knock a 55-yarder. Other times he'll chunk it off the turf. And it, it, sometimes he looks like a freshman, which you'd expect. But with Rayner coming back and being available for FAU, he did the kickoff down in Boca. Then last week he took over in most of the phases in terms of field goal kicking and PAT. Made a field goal at the end of the first half. Williams took over as the kickoff guy. That that's something that Georgia Southern does need to figure out because when you look at so many teams that are just saying, "Look, we need somebody that can bomb it into the end zone and just say, take this at the twenty-five yard line." Maybe that's something to look into, which is what Tyler Bass gave them in three years when he was the number one kicker. But Georgia Southern is also subscribing to, okay, if we can get enough height and keep the ball in play somewhere between the goal line and the five, between the hash and the numbers make them run it back. Maybe we can make a tackle inside the 25 and gain some necessary yards in field position, but it burned them twice last year on those return touchdowns. So they're still working through things in terms of kickoff coverage. Field goal-wise, I think they have it where they want it. Two capable guys, and then Anthony Beck's off of maybe the best game of his career against Arkansas with four of 50-plus and putting three inside the 10-yard line. So I believe that Georgia Southern has its special teams issues figured out. Now we just got to get it right on the offensive and defensive side. All right, Danny, we've learned just about everything we need to know about the Eagles of Georgia <laughs> Southern. Let's get into the matchup now. And, you know, doing my research for this matchup, one thing that I've learned is that both these teams are really bad at third down conversion. The Cajuns are 96th in the country. The Eagles are 91st. We are both also bad at stopping third down conversions. The Cajuns are 129th and Georgia Southern's 127th. So my question to you is, does this game come down to who can convert more third downs? It's really funny because for a long time, Georgia Southern offensively has been a team that wants third and three or less. But in hearing Billy Napier's comments, the best way to convert third downs is to avoid them. Get your five and a half yards of play on first and second. That's 11. Not have to worry about third downs. And it, 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 it's pretty smart, even though I do love what he said. The well, well, What was the line? The scared money don't make money, which means that they're going to go. If it's fourth and one, they're going for it. I love how aggressive he is. And to a degree, Georgia Southern's going to be that way as well. At least they have been so far this year. I don't know if it's going to be a war of converting third downs, but for Georgia Southern, if they're not better on first down offense, it's not going to matter because 
the first three games, they're averaging about three yards of play on third down, and half the time they've been third and eight plus, which option teams, even though they're not much option with as much as they've had to throw it, but for teams of that ilk, you can't be there, which is why we've seen so much of Anthony Beck the last two weeks. And then defensively, even though the first down defense wasn't good against Arkansas because of the chunk plays that they allowed, they've still been able to get into a lot of third and long situations. But this year, opponents are 7 of 13 against Georgia Southern on third down and 10 or more, which is wild considering the teams are better than 50% on third down and 10 plus. And a couple times, they've been able to run for it on third and double digits, which is disheartening. That's, that's an example of the consistency that they haven't been getting. So when they've done things well, they've had trouble backing it up. Other times, it's been the chunk plays, it's been the missed tackles, it's been jumping off sides, it's been the lack of communication. But if they can find a way to just be better down by down, start with first down. Offensively, get your four to five yards. Defensively, don't give up more than four. Make sure that you can stay in third and long while offensively getting to second and medium, third and short, two clock, move chains. Defensively, don't be on the field for more than three plays and let the offense do what it's supposed to do. Yeah, um, so hopefully, actually because of a stat like that that Matt brought up, it's going to be interesting to see how uh, how both teams compare on third downs. And it's going to be kind of funny. It's going to be a game of chess, I think, on third downs. So I'm going to... I'm going to keep a close eye on that when we watch uh, on, on Saturday. But, you know, we've basically dissected uh, the Georgia Southern Eagles. And, and again, Danny, thank you so much for coming on to uh, talk a little bit about this upcoming game. Uh, we're looking forward to it. But, um, you know, obviously you guys have to do your own scouting yourselves about the Cajuns. Um, and, of course, the past few matchups between the two schools have been very uh, very close. They've always come down to one or two plays. Last year, the game ended on a 53-yard field goal by Nate Snyder um, for the C- for the Cajuns to pull off that win. Uh, the year Thanks before, it came came down to one or two plays. Uh, talk a little bit about the Cajuns on your end. Uh, what you see, uh, the strengths and weaknesses, whether it's offense, defense, special teams, the expectations. What are the fans thinking about uh, the Cajuns coming to town? Um, and what what can we see, um, or should I say, what's the perception of, of Louisiana traveling to Paulson on Saturday? What always sticks out for me about Cajun football, especially under Billy Napier, is how strong the line play is on both sides. Offensively, with all five starters back, and now with Carlos Rubio back, which means Ken Marks can play guard instead of tackle. And I've, I've said this on our podcast on Monday. I think you guys have the best right side of an offensive line in the league with Torrance and Mitchell at right guard and tackle. I don't think there's any other team in the league that can say they've got two guys like that on any side of the line. You know that with a, an offensive line like that, you're going to be able to run the football, even with two guys like Regis and Mitchell gone. Levi Lewis running the show. Our color guy, Terry Harvin, loves him. He's shifty enough that he can make things difficult on you. I don't believe he's a running quarterback, but he's got the speed where he can be and he can convert and certain situations. I remember the coastal game last year where he just took off and I can't remember exactly how long the run was, but I'm thinking, okay, that's what he can do. He doesn't do it all the time, but he shows it to you every now and then just to make you honor it. But so far with the way that the carries have been balanced with Levi taking more of the running load to help out Smith with Bailey. And then with as good as Montreal Johnson was with the four touchdowns against Ohio, that's something that you got to account for when he does something that's statistically important. Wide out to think you finally got a full set 
with having all the injuries last year. And I know he loves to spread the ball around. And then with that defensive line, I know Zion Hill didn't play against Ohio, but when you got a nickname like Big Sauce in the middle, that's one that you have to know where he is with Taylor Humphrey, and you're not going to miss him when he's 6'5 and 350. But he didn't play last year against Georgia Southern because of COVID. I know Chris Moncrief didn't play in that game last year. I think you guys were down eight starters. But it, it is a team that is always physically imposing up front, and it's always a team that knows what it needs to do to figure out how to win. That's, that's what has made Coach Napier so successful down there. It's smash mouth on offense, efficient passing, and really good with that secondary a year ago, top 10 in the country in passing defense and have all those guys back, even though for whatever reason, Georgia Southern found success through the air and they don't do that to a whole lot of people. So I would say that the Eagles were the outlier in that sense. But another thing that I've said a couple of times this week in regards to this game, since it opens conference play, and since Georgia Southern has had two rough performances in a row, you guys just had this against Ohio. Georgia Southern needs a that's more like it game. You guys came out, you ran the football, you stopped Ohio from doing what it wanted to do. You had over 300 yards rushing. You got two red zone stops. You dictated the game. You were the better team. You dominated the game like you should have. I'm not saying that Georgia Southern is going to dominate on Saturday. I'd love to see it, but I'm also realistic, optimistic, but realistic. But what Georgia Southern needs is to show who they really are, show that they understand Georgia Southern football, the culture. And the guys have been here before. It's an experienced team. 26 seniors on the roster, so they know what it's like. They just have to be able to play like it. Running the football, keeping the football, controlling the clock, finishing drives with touchdowns, and not giving up the big play by being physical up front, especially with that naturally rotating defensive line. It's going to be a tough challenge because of how good the occasions are on both lines, but Georgia Southern knows that this game is really important to avoid a 1-3 and three start, to be back home for the first time in three weeks, and to open conference play because nobody wants to start conference play with the Ducks. All right, Danny. Like like Billy Napier said, scared money don't make money. <laughs> Saturday afternoon in Statesboro, Georgia. What happens? Uh, I hope it's a good game. I I, I I never do scores or anything like that, but I, I hope it's a good game. If the Cajuns do what they think they should do, they should win the game. If Georgia Southern does what it wants to do, Georgia Southern should win the game. They're great at home all time. Second best winning percentage at Paulson. Best or second best winning percentage for any home field in the FBS. But Cajuns are in their loss here. They're two and zero. And that's so, how, and that's how I know <laughs> that Danny Reed's one hell of a broadcaster. <laughs> but look, whether it's because the sixteen win was under Hudspeth. And then 19, you came here, ran for 275. It was a two-score victory. You were the better team that day, and Georgia Southern realized where it was, dropped a 1-3 that year, eventually still got to a bowl game. But apparently the Cajuns know something about Paulson Stadium that nobody else in the league does. And I would like that to not continue on Saturday, but Georgia Southern has some things that it needs to fix while the Cajuns are just going to try to duplicate what they did last weekend. But no, like seriously, I, I – I threw the bait in Danny's water and he totally missed it. Like you, that, that was, that was a perfect way to dodge. You didn't, you didn't take the bait, which like, like I said, that's what makes you a a good broadcaster because I was, I was hoping to get a prediction out of you and broadcasters just don't do it. 
Well, you you can throw a worm, you can throw a hilgermite, you can throw bubble gum at me. My that fish ain't gonna bite. <laughs> That's fantastic. That's fantastic, Danny. We appreciate you joining us, man, as always. And before you go, tell our listeners where they can find you on social media. You can find me on Twitter at GS Eagles Voice. Our broadcasts are available on GSEagles.com through True Blue TV. We also have a YouTube channel. You can search Georgia Southern Sports Network, same for Twitter. And depending on when this comes out, our coach's show is going to be Thursday night, Hail Southern Live from 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern, and that'll be on Facebook Live. We'll talk with head coach Chad Lunsford, running back J.D. King, and we'll have a full set of Eagle Athletic for you on Thursday. Fantastic. Danny, like I said, man, we appreciate you joining us, and uh, we're looking forward to a good one on Saturday. You got it, boys. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Danny. Appreciate you, bro. Yes, sir. Thanks, Danny. And there he goes, Danny Reed. We'll take a break here on Rage and Review, and when we come back, we will talk about some statistics that appear to be very troubling for this Cajuns football program. We will talk about the Cajuns in Vegas. We will talk about Cajuns in the NFL. And we will also wrap up week three in the Sunbelt Conference. Don't you dare go anywhere. Rage and Review. Be right back. Acadiana business owners, are you looking for custom solutions from local professionals that understand your business needs? Maybe you're looking to streamline your processes, become more efficient, and achieve elevated peace of mind? Utilizing and combined 30 years of experience in the financial and technology fields, the Vaulted Security Team is ready to assist you with reaching your goals. From credit card processing, internet and phone services, website hosting and design, to hosted cloud, even digital marketing and recovery software, Vaulted Security can do it all. Here's a message from Solutions Specialist, Anna Bourgeois. Hi, I'm Anna Bourgeois, your Solutions Specialist, and it's my goal to understand how we can make your business run more efficiently while increasing profits. I'm very passionate about doing business genuinely. In the merchant services industry and other business areas, it's hard to find a partner that you can trust without question. I'm here to change that perception. Give me a chance to show you what true partnership is all about. Contact Anna today at 337-210-4272 or email Anna at Vaulted Security. Welcome back to Rage and Review. Matt Miguez, Jerry A. Bear, Man About Town, Josh Jogno. We are back from going behind enemy lines. With the voice of Georgia Southern, Danny Reed. And, you know, we, we told Danny multiple times throughout that interview and before and even after that he is a great friend of this podcast. But on Saturday from the, from the hours of 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. Central Time, we're just not going to be his friend. Danny always brings the heat when he comes on the pod, so I mean, really appreciate him lending some knowledge. You know, it's just like the NFL. You're always you're always friends with your opponent until you have to get on the field with them. It's just it's just the name of the game. Speaking of the NFL, let's do some Cajuns in the NFL. 
we'll, we'll start with Elijah Mitchell, who played for, he was the starting running back for the San Francisco 49ers on Sunday in their win over Philadelphia. Uh, he, however, left the game early due to a shoulder injury. According to Kyle Shanahan, however, it was just a stinger, and he should be good to go. Uh, 17-11 was the final score in that game. Elijah Mitchell, 42 yards on 17 carries. He also added 11 yards on two catches. In Las Vegas, Trey Vegas, Trey Vegas, once again, did not find the field. Brutal. Come on, Gruden. The hell are you doing? Yeah, once again, did not find the field. Um, Kevin Dotson did play in that game, played well uh, in, in a defeat, but still, you know, played well. Uh, Robert Hunt played for the Dolphins. They lost 35 to nothing. And Christian Ringo made some some valuable plays for the Saints in, in that debacle. Oh, Christian. So Ringo played very well, actually. I think he had his best game in the early season. Obviously, we've only played a couple games, but he played well. He made some impact plays. Got hosed on the damn roughing the passer, which don't even get me started on that. That is just ridiculous. I, I missed that one. I, I didn't see it. I just see um, everything about that game. I'm just trying to get that out of my mind. No, um, man. He, he tackled, dude, I'm telling you. I'm telling you right now. He tackled Darnold right around the waist, and they called it low. And it's just. You, I'm you telling you right now. Play the game like that. This is not a Saints podcast, but I'm telling you right now. If you are a Cajuns fan and a Saints fan at the same time like I am, you better buckle up for one long ass year. Dude, I'm telling you, if this, right now, after after two games, and yes, the game against Green Bay was a great performance all the way around, but I knew that it was going to be that type of game because of all the offseason distractions that the Packers had with Aaron Rodgers and whatever else. Jameis Winston and the Saints all together came back to earth this past Sunday in Carolina. I'm telling you right now, if the Saints win double-digit games this year, it's a, it's a successful season. Playoffs or not? No question. You win yeah, 10 no, games, no. it's a successful year. No question. Well, now, granted, well, they, they, any, they anytime have, you win 10 games, it's a successful year. Well, well, right, but in in the NFC South, 10 and 7 is not going to sound very good, especially, well, when you, also, especially when you've had a couple years of winning 12, 13 games. But they also had seven starters out the other day, but what scares me right, is me offensively. Well, I mean, that does kind of play a big Fry me a river. Matt, come on, man. You can't, you can't, seven starters out. You don't think that's a factor? I mean, I'm not going to say coaches? it's not, a, I'm not going to say it's not a factor, but next man up, dude. You're, you're, well, this we is, we don't have the, this is, this, this is the, the this is the NFL we're talking about here. Team doesn't have the depth, man. That's well, just the harsh that, reality. That's a problem. It is, but that's my point. That's the point I'm trying to make. So I know you say cry me a river, but no, we don't have the depth, and it showed. I mean, look, they, we got exposed by a Carolina offense that's okay, but not nothing explosive. Also, too, add the fact that all offseason, uh, I've been complaining about it, is Michael Thomas needs help at receiver, and Marcus Callaway is getting double teamed. Who else is there to throw to? On top of that, we couldn't pick up a single blitz. That was probably one of the worst games off the offensive line has played in a long time. 
So it just, it was a, it was a, just a mixture of just bad football. Um, and it's going to have to get better fast, we, we, very fast. We kind of got off a of track there. Um, but one, anyway, one last yeah. thing I wanted to talk about Tracy Walker for the lions in the Monday night game last night, he had four tackles and almost had what could have been a crucial interception. Yeah. Uh, he, he was diving for the ball, slipped right through his fingers. Um, I think I want to say the Lions were only down seven at that point. So, I mean, that could have been a huge, huge turning point in that game. Obviously, we love being well represented in the NFL by former players. That's something we could probably talk about for a very, very, very long time. Jerry, well, and kudos to kudos to Tracy. He's really carved out a nice career for himself so far. So, yeah, no question. Always great to have cages in the NFL. No question about it. Jerry, do you know what it's time for? What is it? Man, I tell you what. Hey-o. It's right. time for Man, I Tell You What. Jerry, what you got? <sighs> Man, I tell you what. I, I got to give a little bit of input on what I've been saying for the past few weeks of, um, of college football as a whole. Um, you know, last year was very tough. We talked to, to Danny about the atmosphere at Paulson. I remember the game against Georgia Southern last year. First official home game at Cajun Field during the COVID season. It was weird walking into a stadium of, of 6,000 fans. Um, you know, you just come off two big wins at Georgia State and Iowa State. On a regular year, that's, that's a crowd of 28, 29,000 people with the hype, especially being ranked in the top 25. And um, with everything that's happened over the past year and a half with COVID, to see these empty stadiums last year was, was weird. Uh, and hearing the piped-in crowd noise and everything like that. But... Man, I tell you what, I was watching college football this weekend. We've been to all of the UL home games. I've had the chance to really see the atmospheres across the country. And it's been great to see stadiums full again, man. It is so awesome to see the stadiums full. It was great to see the crowd of 25,000 against Nichols. And even though we didn't have the biggest crowd last week against Ohio, 17-7 isn't bad. Um, But I've been very impressed with the way the fans have stepped up. Uh, even in spite of everything going on right now, still COVID still, still present, but you know, between vaccinations and basically trying to reach herd immunity, I thought we, uh, I thought the fans have done a great job stepping up and just getting to us, getting back to a sense of normalcy. It's very symbolic. You know, the other night, one game that stuck out to me, I got to give a, uh, a shout out to Penn state and Auburn. What a great crowd that was that white out and, uh, and happy Valley. Man, that brought back so many memories pre-COVID era, and it's great to see so many fans going to the game. It's great to see the NFL stadiums filled up again. So I saw Boise State, Oklahoma State the other night, blue turf, packed house once again. Uh, Even the games in Michigan, the big house, over 100,000 people filling it up, filling the stands. So people are ready to get back to normal. Uh, Still doesn't take away the fact that you still have to be careful, still got to be aware of your surroundings and um, still got to be healthy as, as well. But it's just good to see uh, a sense of normalcy come back with these full stadiums. And it's good to see um, fans at the game again and being able to interact with other people. And just, you know, even like I said, at UL, man, the social scene, the tailgates have been great. It's good to see people we haven't seen in a long time. It's good to see the RVs and the campers out. It's good to see full parking lots uh, of people walking into the game. So I'm looking forward to it. Uh, Big time showdown against App State October 12th. Time to start marketing that now. We need Cajun Field Pack. And once again, another nationally televised game against the top 40 app team. So 
what way to bring back normalcy than to fill that stadium up on October 12th. And uh, it's just a very exciting time to be a football fan. And uh, hey, that's why that's what it's all about, man. But I, that's my segment for man. I tell you what, it's good to see a sense of normalcy coming back. But again, everybody just be careful, whether it's getting vaccinated, you know, keeping your distance, still having to quarantine with COVID and all that stuff. Look, I'm not a doctor, but if you want these type of crowds, you do still have to be careful, be, you know, sanitized and, and do what you can to make sure these crowds stay the way they are. But man, I tell you what, it's good to see the atmosphere of college football back again, baby. That's my uh, segment for the night. Well said. Man, I tell you what. I just had to play it again. Shout out to <laughs> our brand ambassador slash audio sound the effect little man. guru. The, the, the big cat, Oe. Um, Josh, you know, you told me that there were some some troubling Cajun statistics that that you wanted to uh, to touch on. Yeah, that hasn't been uh, hasn't been pretty on the home front on a few occasions, and I dug a little bit during the research to talk to Danny, and I continued to see Louisiana very far down on the list of some very important statistical categories. When, uh, when going through the rankings. So I wanted to bring it up because it kind of highlights the things that we've been talking about. For example, we mentioned this with Danny and this was the biggest concern that I have. There are 130 FBS football playing teams in this country. The Cajuns are 129th in the country against third down conversions. That is terrifying. 115th on total defense. 91st in team tackle for loss. This is a team that really thrived on tackle for loss last year. So defensively, some pretty scary numbers that, you know, maybe that they don't pop out at you when you're watching the games, but when you dig a little bit. Now, granted, this is through two FBS games. Nichols doesn't count in this. So it's not necessarily skewed, but it's something definitely to to take into consideration when when you're listening to this. Now, offensively, we could all probably agree that offense has been the most concerning part of the team on third down conversions. This offense is ranked 96th in the country time of possession, 108th red zone offense, 114th and tackle for loss allowed. And this is important because we really rely on our offensive line to be the driving force for our offense and really for our football team. We are 97th in the country in tackles for lost allowed. You know, don't want to really hammer down on the negative, but these are numbers that absolutely have to improve if we're going to have the season that we know we can have. Those are major categories. When you talk about red zone efficiency, when you talk about like having results in the red zone for this offense, when you talk about protecting the quarterback, really getting the running game going. When you talk about stopping people on defense, which is where we thought we might be able to hang our hat this season, those numbers have got to change and they got to improve dramatically quickly. This week is a good week to do that. You're playing up against a front seven in Georgia Southern that's still trying to find their identity. They really haven't been playing as well. Gave up 25 to Gardner Webb, gave up 39 to FAU, gave up 45 to Arkansas. Um, This should be a good, test for the Cajuns going on the road, but shouldn't be that difficult. Um, I'm not saying it should be easy, but the Cajuns should be able to move the football. They should be able to convert on those third downs. They should be able to score in the red zone. 
Um, because if you can't fix it this weekend, you're, it, it gets harder and harder as the season goes on. The competition gets tougher and tougher as well. So they better get that fixed this weekend and going into South Al. Oh, man. Um, it, I'm excited uh, about this conference opener Saturday. Um, I, I believe this is going to be a game that the Cajuns will be able to right the ship. Uh, Georgia Southern is a is a weaker Sunbelt team this year than they have been in years past. Not saying that I'm not very cautious of them and what and their ability to make big plays and score a lot of points. Um, I think it's just more of you know on paper and from what I've seen in years past. This is truly a game where we can get things right. Well, and remember what Danny said. They have a, a laundry list of injuries. Yep. So yeah, you're do. looking at inexperienced guys. You're looking at a new quarterback. You're looking at an offensive coordinator in Doug Roos who's still maybe trying to find the right pieces to be able to run that more modernized triple option. They're, they're not in a situation where they're running on all cylinders, hitting on all cylinders. Now, we aren't either. But you, you look at it and you say, this is probably one of those games where we can go and get some things done and continue to improve on what we've already built from week one and two, you know, the improvement from one and two and then two to three. Right. I, I, I expect them to continue to take that next step. Yeah. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, this is shaping up to be a very crucial conference schedule. Like Jerry said, you know, we're just two weeks away from that big matchup with App State and right in between the Georgia Southern App State game, we have a crucial road game against South Alabama. Um, so, you know, definitely shaping up to be a big time conference schedule this year for the Cajuns. Guys, what's your prediction for Saturday? Um, I, you know, look, I, I talking to talking to Danny, I know that Georgia Southern, this is a must win for them. Uh, this is a golden opportunity for them to really write their ship at home. Uh, now, granted, the Cajuns are 2-0 and at Paulson. How that's possible, I don't know, but I'm loving it. I think third time's a charm. I think the Cajuns are going to go in and, and, and take care of business again. And, and I think they're going to do it because I still think Georgia Southern has a lot of identity issues right now. Um, the new quarterback, the system they're trying to adjust to, they just really haven't moved the ball well offensively. I mean, you take away the field goal kicker in the first game for them, they might have lost that game to – to, to, to Gardner-Webb as well. I, I just think the Cajuns are just too much on both ends of the field or both sides of the ball. Um, if the Cajuns can make them one-dimensional, if they can contain Tomlin, uh, don't let him pull off any big runs, force him to throw, I, I like that advantage for the Cajuns. You get Farad Gardner back. I think you get Zion Hill back as well with Chauncey on the outside, that's going to play a huge factor in stopping their offense. If they're able to come back and they're fully healthy, I think that works to the Cajuns' advantage defensively. And I think offensively, continue to do what you did last week, improve on the passing game a little bit. Georgia Southern's passing, or, or their, their secondary is average. This is a great game for Levi to improve his passing game. This is a great game for the receivers to improve on their on their their running routes and, and not don't drop the ball like last week. Um, if they do that and improve on all these things, I, I see the Cajuns uh, going away. I, I think it's a, I think Georgia Southern is going to keep it close based on being at home. But at the end, I think the Cajuns go into Paulson, take care of business, come out of there three and one going into uh, Mobile. Final score, my prediction, Cajuns 31, um, Georgia Southern 17. 
Very nice. Um, well, I like the Cajuns defense finally at full strength. Defensive line is healthier than it's been in forever. Um, I think that we are better defensively than they are offensively, and I think that's what it comes down to. I don't see Georgia Southern's offense the way it's currently constructed, constructed and with their injuries. I don't see them able to just – you know, you know how they want to run the ball and be methodical and hold on to the football. I don't see them being able to do that against our defense. I think special teams is really rounding in the shape for the Cajuns and they're, they're getting better every week. And I think offensively, the Cajuns are going against a defense that is giving up big chunk plays down the field with regularity. I think Levi is going to have to exploit that weakness, take advantage of some lack of experience in the secondary. Um, hopefully we see the middle of the field get taken to get utilized because again, they are replacing some linebackers that have a ton of experience also have some injuries there. Why don't, why don't we go look for the tight end in this game? Why don't we, you know, let's stay on schedule. Let's get four or five, six yards on first down. That's what I want to see. I want to see the offensive line continue to dominate, do what they can do, what we expect them to do. Let's feed those those backs back there and get some good reps, get some experience earlier in the season because we're going to need them against App State. We're going to need Montreal uh, Johnson to be able to do what he did against Ohio later in the conference season. So uh, I think that this is one of those games where you can put some nice numbers on paper and you can take care of business on the road, feel good about your football team coming back home, um, and, and then we're on the south out. I think that we can – I don't think – I don't take them lightly because they have tradition. They have a home field advantage and they're going to be ready for the Cajuns. Georgia Southern, again, you can't underestimate teams that expect to win. Their fans will be ready for us. This is a, this is a back against the wall type of game for that team. They're, we're going to get their best shot. I mean, hell guys, we're going to get everybody's best shot for the rest of the season, but early in the year, you never know what can happen. So I'm not going to sit here and predict a blowout win, but I do think the Cajuns go into Paulson and win. Yeah, I, I agree. I think we're gonna. I think we're gonna be very competitive in in Saintsboro Saturday. The defense being full strength, like you said, Josh, that's a that's huge, you know, for this program. I, I like the running back scenario. I like getting Montreal Johnson, you know, fifteen to twenty touches a game. Amani Bailey, ten to fifteen. Uh, Chris Smith. I want to see him being used more as like a a screen back, receiving back type of thing. Because, man, you get that kid out in open field, I don't know if there's anybody in the country that's tackling him. It's a great point. And he is a playmaker for this team. And, unfortunately, he hasn't had the opportunity to make plays. And, look, that's on the coaching staff. We, we've got to figure out a way to get the ball in his hands. Yeah, yeah, no no question about it. Score-wise, um, 34-24. 34-24. Um, so you, you like the Eagles and the points? Yeah. Yeah, I, and, and I hate to say that, but I, I still think no, it's, we, it's, I still think we no, win. just come out with a win, It's man. reasonable. Win. I still, I still re- think we win. That's um, a reasonable prediction. I just, yeah, just Look, they, it, the score was very similar two years ago at, at Statesboro. I think it was like 34-23 or something Georgia, like that. So. Georgia Southern will score points. They're going to score points. No matter how good our defense is, they're going to score points. Uh, J.D. King is – an elusive running back. Logan Wright is another guy that can really punish defenses. Um, so, I mean, they're going to get theirs. The question is, and as, as much as I hate this mentality, can the Cajuns survive on a bend-but-don't-break mentality? 
Because that's what it's going to take. I expect to attack this week. I mean, our offense, our offense has not attacked anyone this year with exception to the second half of that Ohio game. It looked like they got comfortable and they found a rhythm and they just attacked, attacked. And they also knew that they were better than the opponent. I want to see that same mentality on Saturday. No question about it. Rage and Review, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Rage and Review. You can find this podcast just about anywhere that you get your podcast. We will try our hardest to bring you a pregame show Saturday morning. Um, if that doesn't happen for some reason, you will see a quick two to three minute Twitter video uh, from from one of us, you know, giving the keys to victory type of thing. Uh, we'll, we'll bring you that on social media and then, uh, you know, the, the reaction pod as, as always. Uh, gentlemen, appreciate you guys taking the time tonight and uh, looking forward to a big one on Saturday. Yes, indeed. Very and, excited. And as always, go Cajuns. Tell them, Moe.